question for you guys. Um, have you guys smiled today? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't convince me. Um, I ask you that question because when I, when I come up here uh, and we're doing worship or we're speaking, you guys look so serious sometimes. I'm like, why are you so serious? Jesus is alive. Smile. <laughs> um, but you know what? It, it happens to me because um, we were recently been doing a lot of uh, staff presentations and uh, meeting with the staff and department heads and all that. And at the last presentation, um, my wife, Meryl, uh, who surprised me, I didn't think she was going to come today because she has to work tonight. Um, thanks for being here. I love you. Um, uh, she came up to me at the, last, uh, at the last presentation and she said, are you having fun? I go, yeah. She's like, yeah, you could tell you're smiling. And I was like, what was I doing before that, that, I, that she came up to me and was like, you're smiling. It made me question myself, like, what was I doing beforehand? It must have looked, like, all serious, like, you guys have to do this, you know. Um, but I asked that, and then the next day, uh, she, she, she came to my mind again when I came up here to minister. And, um, you know, normally we say, like, give a shout of praise to the Lord or, um, you know, clap for the Lord and all these things. And I came up here, and, I, and the Holy Spirit reminded me about smiling. And so I'm kind of going to make it a thing now. So if you, when you see me, I'm going to ask you if you've smiled. See, some of the smiles went away already. What's going on? So I'm going to ask you, uh, hashtag Smile Sunday, Jesus is coming. Um, the other thing before I get into my message is um, I want to uh, minister a dream that I had that I shared at prayer about a week ago. Um, most of you were holy enough to stay home and pray, so... <laughs> So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it here and now, and uh, just let me unlock my phone, because I got to check the time, because I was, I was told that I can go on for a while, and I don't want to do that to you guys, so I had it in my notes to remind me to tell you guys about smiling, and uh, I had this picture, this picture in here. If that doesn't make you smile, I don't know what will. I have no idea whose kid that is, it's kind of creepy. Okay, so back to the dream. So a year ago, um, I had a, a, a dream on my, on my birthday and the day before. So I had a dream on Danny's birthday and on my birthday. And um, I had been asking the Lord for dreams. I had asked him for a dream for my birthday. And though December 1st and then December 2nd last year, the dreams that I had was of a church that was full, full of people, full of... Um, you know, just different types of worship leaders, and, and it was just a packed church. Um, fast forward to, to this year, uh, and I didn't ask the Lord for a dream as a gift. Um, honestly, my birthday kind of snuck up on us because we had so many meetings and stuff, but he gave me a dream as a gift anyways. In the dream that I had, um, I, I looked down, and I was wearing a watch, kind of like this picture. It's actually not me, but it kind of looks like it could be. Um, and I was wearing a, a, brown, a brown watch, and I have this watch. It's in my bedside table because it doesn't work anymore. Um, and in my dream, it was very simple. My point of view was like this picture. I just looked down, and I pushed the little gear. I don't know if that's what it's called, but I pushed in the little gear, and the clock started to tick. Now, I thought I was going to share the dream at prayer last Saturday and say something like, bless you, <laughs> and say something like, like it's time. The Lord is saying it's time. But I got up here instead, and the Holy Spirit changed it up on me, and he said, um, some people 
have put their dreams in their bedside table. Some people have put their goals in their bedside table because they think it doesn't work anymore. Some people does not fail here. We're going to change our name to Sneeze Church. Um, <laughs> okay, so in the dream, um, I was looking at this watch and the clock started ticking. And so when I got up here and I started to minister, I started to say that, that some of us have put stuff in our bedside table, whether that's a dream, a goal, a vision, um, a person even. Maybe we've given up on somebody. Um, we've given up on ourselves, perhaps, or we've given, on a particular, given up on a particular subject. And we put it in our bedside table. And what God was saying to me through my dream is that it's time to take out that watch. It's time to take out that goal. It's time to take out that dream and put it on. Because the Lord is going to push in the gear and the clock's going to start ticking on it again. So if you feel, if you feel, if you feel like, like you've put something away or you've given up on something, you can just, if you could just um, raise your hand. Or if you feel like something didn't work out for you, if you feel like, like you're, you're waiting for something to happen and it hasn't happened and you're kind of like putting it away and, and maybe almost even giving up on it. If you feel like that, and it might not be anybody, but if you feel like that, if you could stand up, we'd like to pray for you. Okay. So if you're around them, I want you to go and lay hands on them. So find them. And I want you to ask them. There's, some people, there's two people here in the front. So I want you to ask them specifically what it is, and I would like you to just pray for, it, for them. Amen? Just tell them that the time is now to pull that dream back out, to pull it out. Relationships are being restored right now. Maybe you gave up on somebody. Maybe you gave up on yourself. Maybe you gave up on a dream or a goal. Good job. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give the Lord a smile and a hand. Amen. So while we were praying, the, uh, the Lord reminded me that we're in the business of resurrection. Okay? We're in the business of resurrecting dreams, goals, inspiration, influence, favor, um, you know, just dreams, relationships, uh, vision, health. All of those things. We're in the business of resurrection and redemption. Amen? Amen? Okay. So today I'm calling it mustard seed culture. And I want to talk to you about how positioning yourself to influence culture starts at home. The key word there is how. Specifically, how positioning ourselves to influence society, to influence the nations, it starts at home. 
And specifically, I want to talk to you about three homes. Your church home, which if you go here and call this place home, this is your church home. And your heavenly home, which we're experiencing during this amazing worship that we've just had. It just, it just felt so heavy today. The worship was so good. Um, you experience heaven. That's your heavenly home. And then your third home is your home home. It's where you go home after work, you know, or after school, or the place that you never leave. Um, <laughs> you know, some preachers get up here and they're like, shout me out and like say, come on, or like, amen, or stuff like that. And so just re I'm going to remind you consistently to smile, okay? It's good for your health and it's good for your face. <laughs> and I got to remind myself too, because my wife was, she told me that I was having fun and I was smiling and I don't want to be serious. We talk about sometimes people get up in public speaking and their personality goes away. Like if they're loud, they just, they kind of shrink. And I'm really goofy and I like to joke around. And sometimes I get up here and I'm very serious, you know, and, and just I don't smile, you know. And I, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to smile. So, and I might still be direct with some things, but I'm going to do it with a smile. So I'm not going to look serious. I'm just going to look creepy. Um, <laughs> So I want to talk to you about, uh, and, I, and I just want to, I just want to have fun. Um, I want to talk to you about, again, I'm just going to repeat it, how positioning ourselves to influence culture starts at home. Talk about heavenly home, church home, and your home home. Psalm 115, 16 says that uh, the, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth belongs to humanity. Jesse, uh, this preacher called Jesse Duplantis, in the interview that I heard with him, he said, I speak worlds into existence, and I walk in them. And he was specifically talking about like how he's like never sick, because he feels a pain or something, and he says, no, you better get out of here, devil. And he speaks the world, and he walks in that world. And some religious people could be like, well, wait, hold on a second. Only God can speak and create, but are we not like God? Some religious people would say, like, well, that's reserved for God. You know, let, let him do the creating. But it's like, no, we're either like God or we're not. And I really like that he said that because it kind of shows the relationship that he has with God and that he has developed with him through time. And so as I, as I speak to you today, I'm going to use my story, specifically my wife and I's story, to illustrate for you how you start to proactively and intentionally set up culture at your home so that you can influence society and the nations. When Meryl and I, uh, story time, when Meryl and I uh, got married, um, Val, you can put up that slide. There's a pretty picture on that one. Oh. My college sweetheart. I, I, I proposed at the Japanese Koi Garden at Cal State Long Beach where we met. Uh, she hit on me first. Just to put that out there. Um, when we got engaged, everybody was like, oh, you know, congratulations. And it's like, you know, felicidades. And like, oh, that's awesome. And then came the, man, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Y'all going to fight. Y'all might not make it. And so Mary and I got uh, together to talking. And we said, you know what? You know what we're going to do? is that when people try to give us their bad experiences, we're just going to smile, and on our head we're going to say, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. 
See, some people have more faith in their problems and in their bad experiences than what Jesus could do with their problems and their bad experiences. Sometimes we come to church with more faith in our problems than we do in Jesus that can do away with our problems. And what we do is that the Bible says that the spirit of life and death is in the tongue, or the power of life and death is in the tongue. And we have bad experiences, and we see people about to go through an event, a life event, whatever it is, and we share our bad experience instead of speaking life into their future. And so Mara and I, we just, we had a great time. I think we had like one hard day. We finished super early. It, it took a lot of work, you know, but it was so good. It was so easy, so simple. And I like to think that that's because we honed down and we said we are going to speak into this and into what we're doing. And it's not that life doesn't happen and that there aren't issues and stuff like that. But it just means that you say, I'm not going to allow these things to influence me. I'm going to allow the truth to stand, no matter what. Amen? Amen. You can go to the next slide, too. It has a nice picture. These are my notes, by the way, so it's not going to make a lot of sense if you read it. But I just want to show you the pictures. And I'm kind of proud of what I put together. So I kind of wanted to brag and show it to you. Um, this is at my wife's graduation, when she uh, graduated as a registered nurse. Nose. Registered nose. They have a cute nose. Okay. My parents' culture. My parents' culture is one that we don't quit. We don't give up. The one thing that I was almost allowed to quit was baseball. Uh, you guys have heard the story. I'll share it again. For those of you that are new, okay, my mom is an awesome encourager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I really sucked at baseball. So I was in the outfield, and they hit a pop fly. I lost the ball. To make a, short, a long story short, the ball hit me in the face. I didn't catch it. And then my mom gets up in the crowd. Imagine these are bleachers, right? She's sitting watching. Dunk. I get hit in the head. She stands up. Everybody has a glove. Use it. I'm like, thanks, Mom, thanks. She hates it when I tell that story. I promise this will be one of the last times I tell it. <laughs> okay, what I, what I, I don't think I've ever shared this. After that day, I was thinking about this. Um, we went home in my dad's Ford Econoline V8 two gas tank having, th that van had like Lazy Boys in it. It was so massive. And I'm sitting in the Lazy Boy inside the van, and I'm like deflated. And I'm like, man, this is... Mm -mm, this is not working out. And so I told my dad, Dad, take me back to the park. I want to go back and play some catch. So we're playing catch, throwing the ball back and forth. My coaches are still there. And they say, Oscar, take your son home. And in my head, I'm like, he doesn't have me here. I do. I asked for this. But they instilled that in me. Because when I tried to quit baseball just because it was hard, my mom made me call the coach back and say, hey, coach, my mom's not letting me quit. I'm actually going to be on your team. So, I'm sorry, we're not going to be good anymore. <laughs> and, you know, I'd like to say that the story was like a movie book ending and that I went back and, you know, I got really good at it and I'm in the major leagues now, guys. But I'm not. I'm here preaching to you guys. So, I'd rather be here than in, in the batter's box. Trust me. I hate being there. Okay, so, 
since I'm using my family to kind of illustrate, uh, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, so just kind of keep that in mind. If you're taking notes, you could write down, Kevin sucked at baseball. Um, and since I'm using my family to illustrate this, naturally, we're going to start in Malachi. So go to Malachi, chapter 3. And I'm not going to talk about the tithe. I am. I just lied. That was a lie. I'm going to talk about the tithe, but I'm not talking about the tithe. Okay, I'm talking about culture and about being proactive and intentional in your homes, right? Three homes. Are you guys there? Amen. All right. So let's read it. Uh, verse 10. Uh, this is the Lord speaking to Malachi, or through Malachi. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. All right, let's stop there. So, check the time. Man, time flies. Um, so I want to talk to you about, uh, really quick, I want to camp here for a little bit, three tithe, or four tithe effects. So when you tithe, there's four effects that happen, or four things that should happen. If uh, You can put up verse 10, pal. Um, verse 10 says that when you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the first, uh, the first effect or outcome of that is that there's food in his house. Remember, I wanted to talk to you about three homes. So right now I'm talking to you about your church home. When you tithe, if this is your church home, you bring, your, you bring it's not yours, it's God's, you bring the tithe here so that there may be food in your home. This is your home. So when you bring the tithe here, you put food on the table. For those of you that are heads of households, you know what that's like. Food on the table to me tells me resources. Resources, when, when our treasurer, my wife Meryl, gets up here and says all the places worldwide that we've given to, that is putting resources on the table. That's what this means, that there's resources that we can move, that, that we can do things, that, that we can invest into our people, that we can, that we can um, you know, uh, give payment to our, to our pastors and to our leaders, that, that we can invest in certain things that we can move. So that's the first effect of the tithe. And I'm going somewhere with this, and I'm going to go a little quickly. The second thing um, is, is twofold. Is Jesus says, or the Lord says, test me now in this. And then it says, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing until it overflows. So now I want to talk to you about your heavenly home and your home home. When you tithe, this is what happens. I want you to use your God-given imagination here. Imagine that there is a woolly mammoth towel above your head. Or a really, really big sponge. Whatever is easier for you. I just like how woolly mammoth sounds, so I thought I would say it because I love prehistoric animals. So imagine that there's a big towel on your head and it's dry. Or a sponge and it's dry. And the tithe is water. So when you tithe, 
you put water into your heavenly home. So the, se the second effect, this is the second effect, it's two parts. The first part is that you're putting water in the towel or in the sponge. And you're putting water and water and water and water and water in there. And pretty soon the atmosphere around you starts to feel kind of, kind of moist. And then you keep giving and keep giving and keep giving and pretty soon you start to feel drop, drop, drop. And then the third thing is that you start to feel just a waterfall over you because the towel is so saturated and so full that it has no other thing but to pour over you. That's the second effect. It's twofold. And so what happens is that you, you kind of like to say you fill up the heaven, your heavenly home, and it pours out into your home home. So that's the second cause. Does that make sense? And the third cause is in verse 11. If you could put up verse 11. This one I call heaven's insurance plan. And this one is, is kind of difficult to talk about. I talked about it last year. I won't talk about it uh, to the extent I did last year. But I'm going somewhere with this. Um, and I, I kind of want to be like, you know, just one last time. Like this is what, this is what the tithe is. The tithe is not yours. Of your income, everything that you get, that's 100%. 10% is the tithe. 10% belongs to the Lord. Jesus said this, give to Caesars what is Caesars, give to God's what is God's. When you take that 10% and you put it somewhere else, let's use my, my dream here as a, a reference. When you take the 10% and let's say you say, I could either buy myself a new watch or I can, I can, I can give the tithe, but you buy the watch, guess where, your guess where the tithe went? Guess what became the tithe? Your watch. The Lord has no need for a watch. He has no need for anything that we could ever purchase with that. So what ends up happening is that you ever watch National Geographic and you see, this, you see the one zebra that's like outside of the herd? What happens to that one zebra? Easy, easy bait. Easy, delicious meal. So what ends up happening is that when we put something that belongs to God somewhere else and somewhere where he has no use for, it's probably not like on the top priority for the Lord. He's looking for you to invest into him so that he can pour out way more. God can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. Uh, uh, shout out to Johnny. There's, there's your shout out. He uh, shared with me this preaching from Pastor Craig Groeschel. You should look him up. He's amazing. He, the, the Bible, if you're using your phone uh, and you're using it to read your Bible, it's probably the one that he came up with. And he had the opportunity to create the app, and he could have sold it because he sold millions upon millions upon, or millions of millions of downloads. And they told him, uh, sell it for at least 99 cents. And he said, no, because when he accepted Christ, he didn't have a Bible. And he was in trouble at his school, and he said, I'm going to create a Bible study so that I look like a goody two-shoes and so that I don't get in trouble. And so he created a Bible study, and then he thought, wait, I don't even have a Bible. And so he went to class, and he thought, uh, I just, I need a Bible. And he comes out of class, and there's a guy there handing out New Testaments. 
And so at the Bible study, he tells everybody, this is kind of funny, he tells everybody, turn to the first uh, page of your Bible. And it, what's, the first, what's the first book of the Bible? Genesis. In the New Testament, what's the first book? Matthew. So he starts reading out of Matthew, and people are like, wait, what's going on? We're in Genesis. He didn't even know, <laughs> he didn't even know that there was like a Genesis. But the point is that when he was confronted with the opportunity to charge for something, he gave it up for free. He gave it up to the Lord. And that's honor. That's, 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 that's uh, Mario was talking about submission, and that's kind of like submitting to the Lord. The last thing kind of that I want to say about the tithe is that the tithe is not a, it's not a, it's not a heart issue. It's a lordship issue. And either God is Lord over your life 100% or he's not. And I know that it's tough and, and sometimes, right, I've been there, um, you might say, uh, I'm just going to use myself uh, as an example. You might say it's easier for you to say that. You know, you have a good job. Your wife has a good job. But when we started tithing, I was the only one working. Meryl and I started tithing when it wasn't a financially sound decision. We weren't saving. Um, talk about, like, being close to, uh, like, not having enough to, like, pay rent or something like that. I was, we were, like me losing my job away from not being able to pay for stuff. Because that stuff can happen. It's life. And so we made the decisions to start tithing, and we weren't saving. I was the only one working. But it was a two-year investment. So we started to tithe. We started to give unto the Lord. And boom, check came in the mail. Another check came in the mail. It ended up being that that whole year that Merrill didn't work and that we tithed, we gave 14% of our income away because we started sponsoring a child named Nisi from El Salvador through Feed the Children. The next year, Merrill started working in September. That year, which was last year actually, we ended up giving away 23% of our income. I was able to give my dad a truck for Christmas, and I got a new truck. And the Lord provided every single step of the way. I'm not boasting. If you think I'm boasting, you guys smiling? If you think I'm boasting about myself, then you think that you, you, one can only conclude that you think I'm better than you. I'm not. I'm made out of the same stuff you are made out of. That should inspire you. That should motivate you to say, it might hurt for a while, but I'm going to trust God and I'm going to test God. And I'm going to give him 10%. Because we went through two years of just like, just kind of coasting, you know. And we couldn't always do like the fun thing. But what's funny is that, is that God always provided more than enough. So what happened? It was what Mario was talking about. When you submit, you, 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 when you give your life to the Lord, you have to restructure some things. You have to reprioritize some things. And Craig Rochelle said that in his preaching, that people come up to him and they're like, well, Pastor Craig, you want me to tithe, but that means I'm going to have to sell something. And he said, yes. Or Pastor Craig, I can't tithe. I, 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 I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to have to rearrange some things in my life. And he said, yes. See, Jesus says, you are either with me. Mario talked about this um, last week, about, uh, you called it yield, right? If you go to verse, um, verse 10, I want you to read this. 
Let's talk about something happy now. Verse 10, it says, I will pour out for you a blessing that there will not be room enough. The language there, room enough, is referencing when the Israelites came out of Egypt. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, it's like a sign of them coming out of sin. And the very first thing that happens is that the Egyptians start giving them gold and diamonds and all these like amazing like things. And they're taking it, right? And that's the blessing. And what should have happened in the desert? They should have learned to trust God. But what happened instead? They created a golden calf with that gold because they didn't trust the Lord. And so like Mara was saying last week, it's like when you get promoted outside of submission and you get blessed, that's going to crush you because you do not have the strength to carry that. And the Lord doesn't want to do that. He wants you to kind of like, um, Andy Minial has these cool lyrics in, his, in, in one of his songs where he says, um, how you plan on getting swole if you don't ever get sore? <laughs> Try to translate that. Okay, I'll, I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to you. Danny's over there looking at me like, how am I supposed to translate that? How do you expect to grow muscle if you don't ever go to the gym? Or at least, you know, lift weights at home or something. How do you expect to grow your faith that was given to you how do you expect to grow the measure of faith that was given to you if you don't ever flex? I'm not talking about worldly flex. Like, oh, you know, he's got the sauce. I'm talking about flexing your faith where you say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to do what crazy smiling Kevin is, is, is talking about, and I'm going to test you. I'm going to take 10%, and I'm just going to see what happens. Just see what happens. Just, the Lord, it's not even me saying it. The Lord is saying, just see what happens. Trust me. Trust me. Or trust God. Don't trust me. <laughs> he can do more with 90% than, than you can with the 100%. And here's the thing. When it comes to, like, to, like, um, to, to that faith thing, it's actually one of the only like, uh, black and white things in the Bible. There's two, there's two things that shape our values. It's that without faith, you can't please God, and that love is the greatest thing. And they're brought together in Galatians where it says that we do all things in faith through love. And this is kind of like, this is what I wanted, I wanted to say. I don't, wanna, I don't want this to sound, um, to sound mean, um, but I have a challenge for you guys. I recently found out that uh, there's this whole like 80-20 rule thing um, that comes from like uh, data where it's like 20% um, uh, of the church, like church attendees, will serve, and the other 80% won't. Well, we don't have that here, right, because we're, we're smaller. Almost everybody serves, <laughs> except for my mom. Everybody has a glove. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you. <laughs> And then the same thing goes for financially speaking. 20% of the church funds the rest of the church. That means that at a church of 100 people, only 20 people are giving, either tithes and offerings. And that's 100% of the church's budget. You know what that is? That's average. You want to know what that's called biblically? Lukewarm.
What does God do to lukewarm? I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be average. I don't want to be like, oh yeah, that church, you know, they, they gather and they have service and, you know, they, they, they get together and it's cool. They meet up. They have service. Their worship leader sounds like an angel. It's cool. They're there. Do you guys want to be average? That's my challenge to you guys. Let's not be average. In our church home, let's not be average. Let's stand up and let's say, we're not going to be average, Lord. And here's the thing. We're going to have to flex that faith muscle. We're going to have to put it to work. And the name of the game is consistency. Go to Matthew 17. 17.20. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here because they couldn't pull an evil spirit out of a boy. He says, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Mustard seed is the smallest seed. The tithe is the smallest amount that you can give to the Lord if you hold the job. But that small seed... Um, Bow, if you can put up the, 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 the one that says ecosystem. That small seed produces a giant tree. And that giant tree, it says that birds come and it nests in it. In a previous chapter, it says that birds come and they nest into it. So that's, that's a tree. That's a, a, a tree that you get from a little mustard seed. It's super small. If I was holding it and you're not sitting in the first row, you wouldn't be able to see it. That, Jesus isn't belittling or saying, you have small faith. He's saying, your small faith would work if you flexed it more often. If you used it. See, I don't want to be average. My goal in life is to grab the plow with both hands and drive that thing so deep into the ground that there are roots here and, and then stuff springs up way long after I'm gone. Because I'm thinking about my children's children. And I'm thinking about your children's children. And what happens when you, when, when you say, okay, our church home won't be average. Your heavenly home starts to pour out. Then your home home starts to be lifted up by the Lord. And your favor starts to increase. Your influence starts to increase. Your, your reach starts to increase. Resources start to come. This is ideas. It's not more money. You don't get more money. It's resources. It's ideas. Creativity. Um, just like increase in different ways. Dreams start to come to life. See, some of you put your mustard seed in your bedside table. And for some of you, it's the tithe. It might be something else for others. And if the tithe is in faith for you, then it must be, must be time to extend it a little more. In my home, um, this is all like proactive, being intentional. Remember, the subject matter is how influencing culture starts at home. In my household, we're very intentional. We're very proactive. And we've seen the fruit of that, the outcome of that. In, in my, my parents' home, people would walk in there and they'd be like, I feel such peace here. And I think it's because we don't quit because we're resilient, because we press on. And so if you want something to trust or something to count on, you can count on us not quitting on you. And that gives people peace. Consistency gives people peace. 
That's the home I come from. Then I married my wife. She comes from a home of honor, where honor is raised up above everything else. Honor. You honor the older people in your, in your household. You honor one another. You honor family. What happens when you get peace and honor? You start to dream. At least that's what I've started to notice, that my household is known for dreaming. So when my wife and I do financial counseling, we know what we're doing with the Lord is working because people start to dream again. Because when we counsel people, the very first one is kind of like, I'm in, a heap of, I'm, in, I'm in a heap of things, and I just, I just, I don't see a way out of this. And what I see is a culture of settling, like, oh, I'll just settle for this. I'll settle for something that's smaller than what God really wants to give me. I'll settle for, the, for, for, for whatever comes my way. I'll settle for, for, for whatever takes minimum effort. I'll settle for that. But when we bring people into our counseling, the first sign of that it's working is that we start to see dreams happen again. And this ecosystem, it starts, to, it starts to birth. And pretty soon, not only are they dreaming, but the people in their family are dreaming. And it says that birds come into these trees and they nest there. What does that mean? That means that generations start to rise up and start to be born. When you're intentional with your home culture, you create ecosystems. You create something that people can step into. That make sense? Um, go to Song of Solomon's, chapter seven, verse eleven. It says, "Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open, and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love." The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and our gates are pleasant fruits. All manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. When you're proactive and you create ecosystems and then you create a culture that's like intentional in your home, you can make anywhere your home. Because these verses right here, it's like, let's go here, and let's go there, and let's go to this place, and our gates are amazing, and you can go anywhere, and you could make that place home. When, when, I, um, when I, like, I've had to travel for work to a couple of places, one of the outcomes of, like, us being, like, um, just intentional with our giving with the Lord is that when I've, let's say I've gone to New York or Orlando for, like, work and stuff, one of the things that I always do is that I always pause, I take a, time, a moment out of my day, and I step out, and I just, I go to pray for that land that I'm visiting. And that, in that moment, the culture of that area, spiritually speaking, meets the culture of my home, spiritually speaking. Because like Isaac told me at the beginning of service, we're more spiritual than we are anything else, right? So when I visit these places, I bring my home with me. I bring you guys with me. I bring my wife with me, if she can't go with me. I bring heaven with me, and I pray and I bless that land, and I bless the animals, the government, the leaders, the officials, and I just take a time to just say, Lord, may the culture of my home, which is the kingdom, bless the culture here. Because your home is where society meets kingdom. 
And whatever you pay more attention to will determine what influences you. Whether it's your worries, your fear, what's going on in the news, the politics, the drama, the wars, the rumor of all of these things. When that stuff comes into your home and the kingdom comes into your home, you're the, you're the one that makes the decision and says, okay, this is what's going to influence us. And so if you, if you will, you grab everything that came into your home and you put a nice kingdom jacket on it and then you send it back out. And pretty soon the world starts to see your home and they start to say, hey, what's different about you? And your influence starts to grow. All right, um, last thing. Go, to, uh, go back to Malachi and verse 12. Remember I told you there was, um, there was four, uh, four effects of, of giving, giving the tithe? I only gave you three. The first one was you put food on the table in your church home. You, um, you kind of like, you could, you could say, bombard the heavens. Um, and then promise comes down into your home home. And then you also, the third effect is like you get like kind of protection. Stuff just seems to last longer. Um, you seem to get more insight and stuff seems to grow. And the fourth effect, put up the verse, is this. The nations will call you blessed. The word there for blessed, it means prosperous, successful, content. It means like a straight line. And it literally means the word blessed again. If you, wanna, if you want to have influence on the people around you, on society, on things like that, it starts at home. And it's biblical because Jesus says that I see what is done in private. And then he promotes. Or what he, what he, Jesus says, what I say to you in private, shout it out from the rooftops. So what you do at home when nobody is looking and it's just between you and the Lord determines what happens outside. And a lot of that has to do with your faith muscle. And a good place to start is with the tithe. But the outcome of all of that, what God is after, is this. Is that the nations will look at you and say, you are blessed. What I'm after in life is that the nations would call you blessed. Because that's my Father's will. There's two wills in the Bible of God. There's the, uh, he wishes nobody would perish, but do people perish? Yes. It's more like a wish. The second will is, is like, for example, Jesus is coming back. You can be atheist all you want, but Jesus is coming back. It's going to happen, no matter what. We live between those two wills. If we operate in faith and we trust God and we yield and we're obedient and, and, and we allow ourselves to go through seasons of transition and, and, and we, we constantly flex our faith, you'll see how your influence starts to grow. You'll see how God starts to prosper you and lift you up. You'll see how God takes you by the hand and he says, come child, let's do a good work. And then the result is that the nations come and they say, you are blessed. Because they were able to come and see the light on top of the, uh, on top of the hill. Because they came and they saw 
the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen? So I say to you one last thing. Close your eyes. I want you to ask God, I want you to ask Him, what's the mustard seed in your life? What's the small thing in your life that maybe you put in your bedside table or you put it away because you thought, you know, this isn't working anymore or this isn't happening? What was the one thing that you used to dream about that you put away? God is asking you to bring it out today. And if you would lay it at his feet, he would make a giant tree out of it. Thank you for listening to the Grace and Love podcast. We pray that you are filled and encouraged by today's message. For more information about Grace and Love, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Love Church. Make sure you check us out again next week. Thanks again, and God bless you.